closed out for us on the Gospel of Luke. There was a few gaps along the way that we will bring back at a later time. Um, But we did get to close the book of Luke. And we've also recently done the book of James. So I feel like we're, we're tracking well as far as getting through some books of the Bible on Sunday evenings. And uh, we're now at the book of Ephesians. I'm going to leave you in Acts for, for a minute um, just as I, as I pray. Tonight, there's going to be a mix of some practical stuff for you to take home in regards to what we're talking about. But there's also, it's going to require us to do some thinking. And sometimes thinking is hard. <laughs> so... Um, well, I find it hard sometimes. And so I'm going to pray that God helps us in our thinking and processing some of this um, so that we can know him better. That's the object of preaching scriptures that we would know God better. So that's what we do at church. Um, we don't try and just give you a motivational speech or just give you something that gives you, say, three tips for having a better week, all right? Um, you don't need church for that. There's plenty of stuff online. There's plenty of places you can go. Um, where you can find motivational speech. What we want to do at church is we want to hear from God. And so in order to hear from God, we need to preach the Bible because the Bible is God's words to us. In uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, it says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. So what we read here is actually from God to us. So it's important to get that because otherwise um, there's not much point listening to me. All right, I don't really have that much to offer you. Um, but God has everything to offer you, all right? So that's kind of the approach that we take, and uh, with that, let's pray. Lord, you are gracious, you are good to us, even when we're undeserving and when we are absent from you, you love us and you continue to call us to yourself. Lord, I thank you that you have given us your word that we would know you. So I'm going to pray tonight, Lord, that you help me preach so that I speak about you rightly, how you want to be spoken about tonight. And Lord, where we run into stuff that maybe um, our minds have trouble getting, getting around as we, as we process some of this stuff, Lord, give us grace, but give us your Holy Spirit tonight working in us that we would know you through the Scriptures tonight. Uh, to simply read the Bible by ourselves is futile, but we need your Holy Spirit to make known these wonders I pray this tonight that you will do that work in us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, we're looking at Ephesians 1, and I'm just going to give a, a stay, in, stay in Acts. I'm just going to give you a couple little things on a background to the book of Ephesus or a letter. It's believed that this is a, um, a letter that was probably written by Paul during his time in prison. He had several stints in prison for his faith, for being a follower of Jesus. And it's believed that this is one of them where he was locked up, yet he's full of joy and praising and so grateful for, um, for the work that God's doing and the way he's seeing God at work. So Ephesians, if you're an Ephesian, you come from the city of Ephesus, which was one of the leading cities in the Roman Empire. And if you were to go to Ephesus today, it's not called Ephesus, it'd be Western Turkey, all right, just to give you an idea. It's believed that there was about half a million people in this place at the time. And the people of Ephesus loved false gods. They built big statues to a range of different gods. There was a a lot of different beliefs and a whole bunch of things going on. The other interesting thing that we find in the book of um, 
Ephesians, I'm uh, sorry, in the book of Acts, is that the people in Ephesus loved black magic. The occult used to happen in the city of Ephesus. There was, a, there was the practice of magic where people thought they could um, get spiritual powers by some other means and perform magic as well. And so what we actually encounter in this letter, which is pretty awesome, is some of the people that he is writing to are people who are saved out of being magicians. People who dabbled in the occult and did some other things are now, some of them are now the Christians that Paul is writing to. So that's pretty awesome. And uh, the the author of this, well, we've said two things. We've said that all scripture is by God um, and Paul is the author. God has used Paul for the writing of this letter. Um, Paul is originally Saul of Tarsus, okay? Uh, He was originally a Pharisee and he loved to persecute Christians, He did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah, and so he was always wanting to go and persecute and put an end to this Christianity, all right? However, Paul was converted to Christianity when Jesus intercepted him on his way to persecute Christians on the road to Damascus. Jesus turns up and stops him with a blinding light, taking away his sight. Eventually, a few days later, God had him healed And then Paul spends the rest of his life proclaiming the good news of the gospel. So this author was once a persecutor of Christians, hated them, wanted to stop the growth and the spread of Christianity, and then he turns out to be one of the the lead people in the spreading of the gospel. So the reason I got you to turn to Acts, as this is an awesome thing to do, is with these letters throughout the book of Acts, we can actually find where Paul's starting to engage. And so if you look at chapter 19... Verse 1, it says, While Apollos was in Corinth, so that's where we get the letter to the Corinthians, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And it goes on in talking about the interactions that Paul has when he goes to the Ephesians. Okay, so if you're ever wondering where did this come about, um, you can actually find these churches where these letters are being written throughout the book of Acts. You can find these groups of people when they did missionary journeys to Corinth, to Ephesus, to Philippi, to all these different places. So, um, so you can see the founding and the beginning of this uh, happening. And Paul is boldly proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah and people are turning from their false gods um, to becoming Christians. So something you can check up on in your own time. I'll get you now to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Really, this week and next week is the, the one, the one sermon split into two. Um, this is the groundwork. Next week, we're looking at many of the blessings that come out of these theological truths about who God is. And so there's, there's a lot to be excited about, but we're going to get this groundwork done, as Paul does in the, in the letter here as well. So let's take a look. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. So Paul is an apostle, but not by career choice. He wasn't sort of weighing up his options of what would be good for his life. (laughs) He didn't think, I could be a barber or an apostle. No, no, he became an apostle by God's will. All right, God has determined for Paul that he would become an apostle. This is God's thing, first of all. And so the letter is going to the faithful saints 
in Christ Jesus and Ephesus. And as we just said, these are some of the these people he's now calling faithful saints are people that once practiced black magic, and now they are um, doing away with those things and learning the truth of the gospel. Verse 2, this is still the opening, this is the greeting of the letter. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard some Christians, they will give a greeting or maybe even sign off on an email or a letter and they use the term grace and peace. Um, So when they greet each other, they might greet each other with, hey, brother, grace and peace. Hey, sister, grace and peace. Uh, When they were leaving, they might say the same thing. Grace comes first because we receive peace as a result of grace through Jesus Christ. The only way to true peace is through experiencing the grace that comes through Jesus. So it's a great um, two words put together as a greeting or a of a way of of leaving. Grace and peace to you. Verse 3, Blessed blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Now, there's something that's really important to us here, the last two words of verse 3, in Christ. That's going to be big for us, particularly next week, that we who are Christians are in Christ. So we are more than just in a relationship with God. That's definitely one way of of talking about what we have with God. But the biblical term is in Christ. We have a union, a marriage-like union. We are in Christ. And that results in many, many blessings for the Christian. And that's where we were going to be landing next week. Okay, then we get to 4, 5, and 6. And 4, 5, and 6 are our focus for this evening because there's so much in there that that's enough for tonight. Okay, verse 4 says this. For he, as in God, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. I'm going to read that again. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. Verse 5, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. I'm going to read that one more time as well. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. And verse 6, why is all this happening? To the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. So there's a lot for us to get our head around right now. God choosing us before the foundation of the world to be blameless, predestination, adoption, according to his will. There's that his will in the same way that Paul, we just said, became an apostle because of God's will. God is choosing human beings to be his, that's his will. Here God is revealing his plan in forming the church, bringing together God's people, the body of Christ, and he has predestined us. What that means is he has predetermined before creation of the world, he knew you. You were his before the creation of the world. He predestined you to be adopted 
as his children. He predestined you to become one of his children before the creation of the world. So God's people are what we call the elect, the elected people. God's elected people are, like it says in 1 Peter, a chosen race, a royal priesthood. God's people are people that God, by his will, for his good pleasure, has chosen to be his followers, to be his church, to be his body. People say, why? Hang on a minute. So many questions might be coming to mind right now. Somebody saying, why me? Why? The best answer I can give you from Scripture is one that I gave a few weeks for another topic. It's from the Psalms, and it says, Our God is in the heavens, and he does whatever... Anyone want to finish it? Whatever he pleases. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Remember, Paul, not a career choice, his will, God's will. God calling people to himself by God's will. And what we arrive at is a word called doctrine right now. And for many Christians, when they hear the word doctrine, they go, that sounds like stuff that's not for me. I just want to, like, praise and do some praise stuff. I just want to, like, talk about love and praise, all right? But I'm going to tell you why doctrine is important, because what we're talking about here in these verses, this is... This is Christianity 101. This is fundamental Christian teaching that sets you up for understanding who your God is that you're serving and singing about, who your God is that you're informing and telling other people about. This stuff is very important to Christians, and doctrine is really, really important. Doctrines are important teachings about the Bible, about who God is, And they've been preserved all through the ages from the early church by the apostles down to us today so that we're not just left over here telling people what we think God is like. A few months ago, I was listening to a a person on the internet talking about the Holy Spirit. And the person said, for me, the Holy Spirit's like the blue genie from Aladdin. The Holy Spirit is not like the blue genie from Aladdin. And people arrive at conclusions, stupid conclusions like that, because they don't know scripture, they don't know doctrines. If you are somebody who speaks about Jesus to somebody else, if you are somebody who sings songs about who Jesus is, you are somebody who teaches doctrine. You are somebody who teaches theology. You are somebody who studies God. Every single Christian, although you might not be trying to write massive big books and become a theologian or a scholar, every single Christian is a theologian at some level because you are informing others of who God is. And what does the Bible say about doctrines? It says to guard them. In 1 Timothy 4.16, it says this, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, You will save both both yourself and your hearers. We want to be presenting these truths about God in a right way to the people that we're talking about. In Titus 2.1, it says, You must teach what what is in accord with sound doctrine, good teaching passed on from the apostles. So, knowing doctrine and theology is the work of all of us. It's very important to us. So, with those couple of statements about that. 
I'm going to read 4, 5, and 6 again, then we're going to unpack two, two major doctrines tonight, two very important ones. One is called the doctrine of predestination, and the other one is said to be a sibling of that, which is the doctrine of election, predestination and election. Okay, let's read 4 and 5 again. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. The doctrine of predestination is one that where God before the foundation of the world chose people to be his. God knew you, predestined you to be his. And the second one is the doctrine of election, which says the elect are, the elected people are, those God chose in love, and this is important, not by anything good that we did. He didn't look down and see you and go, that person's really got it together, I will make them one of mine. No, he's in the heavens, he does whatever he pleases, he sovereignly chose who he will, who he wanted, not by anything in us, but in his mercy, in his grace, and in his love, he chose those who would be faithful in Christ. Those who would be presented, who would be blameless before him, are an elected people. He elects them, and he declares them holy through the work of Christ on the cross. So, being a Christian is having been chosen by God to be his child and inherit all the blessings, all the blessings that come through Christ. Now, right now, there can be a mix of things going on in the heart and in the mind for people depending on where they're at with this. Um, somebody might be saying, hang on a minute, everybody has always told me that a person has free will. You might have heard a presentation where somebody said, no, no, everybody's made with free will. Okay, this is a much bigger conversation than what we have time for, but I'm going to sum up with a couple of little things about free will. This actually does something to free will because free will isn't something that we find in the Bible. Okay, it's a, it's a way that man has come up with how do we explain to people the way in which salvation occurs. If we're going to talk about the will of man, the will of man is actually a slave to sin. So you can't be free and a slave to sin at the same time. Now, it's not completely wrong to say people are created with free will, but you would need a lot of explanation to go with it. Personally, I prefer to say something along the lines of, we are people who are created who have free choice. There is a sense in which uh, we can definitely choose. Like, I, I'm going to go to McDonald's later, and God's not sovereignly directing whether I have a cheeseburger or a chicken burger. There is a, you know, there is a free choice that is given to us. But our will is trapped in bondage. Our will is under the slavery of sin. In fact, the Bible goes even further to say that we are dead in our sins and in our trespasses. So dead people, slaves to sin, aren't free people, okay? You got your Bible? I want you to travel with me through uh, a, a few scriptures. We're going we're gonna to cross-reference and have a bit of a look here. Where else? Because people sometimes say, well, you better find out what all of the scriptures say about this particular doctrine or topic, and that's what, we're not going to go through the whole Bible, but we're going to have a look at a couple. So, um, 
Romans 8, 28 to 30. Let me get you to turn there. Romans 8, 28 to 30. Actually, Nathan, can I get you to turn to Acts 13, 48? Acts 13, 48. All right. Um, Chris, do you want to read Romans 8, 28 to 30 for me? Awesome, thank you. So a couple of key things in there. Um, For those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Um, And then from verse 30, and those he predestined, so here we have this again in Romans 8, he also called, and those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Uh, Nathan, do you want to read Acts 13, 48 for me, please. Awesome. And all who had been appointed eternal life believed. They had been appointed it. They had been elected. God chose them for election. Uh, let's, let's all go to John 6, 44. Let's turn to the Gospel of John. Okay, Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 44 says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. God is sovereign in calling people to be his people. All right? Um, We're going to do one more. While we're in John, let's go to uh, chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 16. All right. It says here, verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit, that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Here it is stated by Jesus very clearly, You did not choose me, but I chose you. Don't turn here, but I'll give you um, 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Again, stating God chose you. Mark 13.27, God gathers his elect. He calls his people together. Colossians 3.12 talks about God's chosen ones. Now, there's a lot in there. When I was preparing for this sermon, I thought I'll jump online and see what some of the biggest um, preachers in the world are saying about Ephesians 1 because it's, it's a pretty heavy passage to work through. And um, 
the first one that came up was from somebody who's probably sold more books than um, many others, um, TV, morning show type of one, um, spent about 15 minutes on verses 1, 2, and 3, and then when it got to these, these uh, three verses, 4, 5, and 6, they said, and then he just says some stuff about how much he loves us, but verse 7, and then they jumped back in and, and went there, because it, it seemed like it was too hard basket. I don't even want to go there. That's too much. Like I said at the beginning, doctrine can be hard and it requires our thinking, and thinking is hard. So here's what I want to do. I want to summarize, and then I want to give you some reasons why this is important. This is where it will be hopefully more practical to you this evening. Um, So knowing God, for knowing what this relationship that you have with him actually is, um, it's it's important to understand God's sovereignty in it, that he is a God who elects his people and calls them. um, When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't just make a way, like an availability for for anybody. He didn't just sort of produce savability at the cross where he said, I hope they'll believe. Um, A a quote that I read this week was, Jesus took names to the cross. Jesus died for his elect, died for his people. All right, and this is important for us. And I'm going to give nine reasons. The first two have a little bit more to say, and the, second seven, uh, the, the seven after that are quite quick to move through. Okay, number one, this doctrine, this teaching of um, predestination and election, it actually presents the sovereign God of Scripture to you, not just who you want Him to be. All right? It's produced, it, it gives to you who God is saying about Himself from Scripture, not just who you want Him to be or who I want Him to be. That's where we make the mistake, like the blue genie person, when we go, no, I think I want to think of him like this. We don't get to do that. How would my wife feel about her if I said, I know my wife is like this, and this is her character and her nature, but I'm going to tell everybody else that she's actually something totally different. She does all sorts of different things. That wouldn't be good, would it, right? Have you ever had somebody speak falsely about you and told people a whole bunch of stuff about you that wasn't true? They spoke on your behalf and you found out about it later, we don't want to do that with God. We want to go to God and let God define God, not who we want to define God as. And this is important to us because this is, I believe, the God that you need in your life. You need the God who is sovereign over your election. You need the God who is sovereign over calling you to himself. I believe that it puts a bigger rock under your feet a more stable and firm foundation than just hoping for the best. It gives you a bigger and more powerful God than you may have even known you had. It's not a needy Jesus who's just hoping that you'll come and and love him. Jesus isn't there just going, oh, I wish that they would love me. I wish that they they would come to me. Jesus has secured our salvation at the cross. This is the true sovereign God who is always in control. And we need a God who is always in control, not a God who is hoping for the best. When people encounter a God that is sovereign and in control like this, I believe that people get to experience the power of God, the true God of Scripture. I have shared this story before, but I think it's, it's relevant here tonight. One of my first times preaching, I went out to Mundubra, to the Baptist church out there. And 
as I was preparing for the sermon, I got news um, that the pastor's wife was really, really sick with cancer. So I was kind of freaking out, to be honest, because I didn't feel anywhere equipped for going to that place and speaking about God and how would I comfort a, a church that was hurting. What's worse is she actually died in the week as I was leading up to go out and preach there. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I talked to Mark, and he said, you need to go and preach the sovereign God of Scripture. That's what they need. There's other things happening like funeral services and other things going on that are for comforting. But what they need to hear on on Sunday morning is about a God who is still in control. So I did a lot of praying, and I went out to this church. And I was expecting when I got there to find a church that was broken and a real mess. And while there was tears, while there was grieving going on, what I encountered from this group of people was a group of people who knew Scripture, and as a result, they knew the sovereign God, the true God of Scripture. And I remember this old lady who was standing in front of me. She led the, the prayer meeting, and, and I was with her in her time of worship as we were singing songs. And I looked across at her, and she had tears running down her face, and her hands lifted up, singing at the top of her voice, to the God that she knew was in control of salvation. This is the sort of God that we get. Not one where we go, oh, it's all come apart, it's broken. No, we have a God who is sovereign, who is in control, who has called us to belong to Him, and He is not letting us go. Number two. Wrestling with these doctrines and scriptures, as some of you might be doing right now, it helps you to be okay with not having all the answers. When it comes to God, there are mysteries, there are paradoxes, and there are antinomies, which are two truths that would seem like they contradict each other. Because we do get in Scripture where it says that God desires all to be saved. But we know that not all will be saved. And when we wrestle with the mystery, we don't put God in a box but we get to be like Paul who gets to this place where he then says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. Paul, who received so much revelation about who God was, does 11 chapters of Romans teaching all this theology and lands at this place and goes, Oh, the depths and riches and wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his ways. Even Paul ends up in this place. Because here's the thing. If you can explain everything about God, he's not God. If you can explain everything about God, all you've got is a figment of your imagination, an idol that you've managed to take this infinite God and put him in a small box and say, I can explain everything that he does. It's not the God we want. Um, I was terrible at maths at school. Terrible. Just scraped through. There are mathematical equations that do not make sense inside of my head. Who's really good at maths here? Of course. (laughs) Take that mathematical equation that does not make sense. doesn't matter how many tutors that I could have, it will not make sense, it will not add up, it will not balance, whatever. Take that and put it in Nathan's head and suddenly it makes sense because he knows about maths. How much more 
with the bigger grand scheme of life and creation and all that's in the universe, in, in the un, universe and galaxy are the things of God that we cannot comprehend with a finite mind. His mind, infinite. Our mind, finite. Is that helpful? Yeah? Okay. That doesn't mean we don't try and work out God. That doesn't mean we don't search the Scriptures to know Him. He has given us the Scriptures and He has given us Jesus that we would know Him. We may not know everything, but He has given us this. And wrestling with these doctrines, this is point three, wrestling with these doctrines and teachings produces robust Christian thinkers. And they see Scripture that conflicts with their mind and their limited understanding and they wrestle through it. It is good for us to wrestle through Scripture. To be able to trust God so that when we sit with people and they don't have all the answers, we can actually join them and say, yeah, God's a bit like that. I find these things difficult to comprehend as well. For instance, who wrote the letter to the Ephesians? Paul did, based on the scripture that I read at the beginning, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed. Who wrote the letter to Ephesians? (laughs) You were right, but it's also God, isn't it? See some of the mysteries that exist, these, these things that would seem like a contradiction but make sense in the mind of God? This is good for us. This is what we need to wrestle through. All right, number four. Knowing that God is this God who is sovereign and in control over, calling you to himself, this does away with boasting. It's only by grace and mercy. It's only by God's gracious gift in Christ that any of us would be saved. These doctrines, these teachings, they humble prideful human hearts. So many times we see humans and we do it ourselves where we think we're so much better than what we actually are. What we arrive at when we read Scripture is that we're actually worse than what we thought we were. But the great thing is that God is more generous, more gracious and more loving than what we imagined that he to be as well. So it does away with boasting. Number five, we find out that nobody has sinned too much. Who are you to tell God whether you have sinned enough? Uh, too much or or not enough or whatever it might be. Nobody has sinned too much for God when we read this because it's his election, his calling of you to himself. So he doesn't doesn't look at it and, and go, I can't have this person because of all the sin that's going on. He said, no, I'm I'm calling you to myself and I'm going to make you like Jesus in his sovereignty over our lives. So whatever sin you're wrestling with at the moment, It's not too big for God. He is a sovereign God who is in control. Number six, this doctrine leads to eternal security. None can snatch you, this is what scripture says, none can snatch you from God's hands. If you could lose your salvation, you would lose it. If you could lose your salvation, if that was possible you would lose it. And in eternal security, and when people have security in their life, people flourish. 
People produce good fruit out of knowing that they are secure. A foster child um, might wait at the door wondering if the bad thing that they just did recently means that somebody is about to turn up and take them away again. They're unsure because of their behavior. They're unsure, is this car turning up now because I'm going to be leaving again? But the child who is adopted into a family and accepted not based on a performance, but is brought into the family and is told, you are a part of this family, and whether you are misbehaving or acting really well, you are loved and you are called to be a part of this family. That child will flourish in that environment. Likewise with us, when we have eternal security in God, we flourish knowing that we are God's people, knowing that we are called to this life of following him. We've got three to go. Take a deep breath. Three to go. When it comes to telling others about the good news of Jesus, when it comes to sharing the gospel and evangelism, this doctrine is important to us. This teaching is important to us. Because it's not about your ability. Think about the scripture. God calls whom he calls. His means by which he does it is through humans, yes. But God is the one who is saving people. So he's not calling you to be an expert gospel teller. He's not calling you to be an argument winner and to know every single teaching that exists in the world so you can combat everybody. He's just asking you to be faithful in going and sharing about Jesus with people. So there is a, a, an encouragement for us in evangelism to go and to share the good news about Jesus, knowing that it is God's work in calling people to himself. God has declared that he has elected people as his own, and therefore we have assurance that this message takes hold of hearts. We aren't, again, just hoping for the best. Number eight and number nine go together. When we speak about a God like this who we're saying is sovereign and in control, we're talking about a God who gets glorified as he should. He's not a God working in the background who's not, out of control, who's not in control of this. He is a God who is sovereign over all and he gets his rightful praise and glory. And for number nine, that's where we actually are our happiest. We've spent a lot of time over the past six months talking about when there's more Jesus, there's more happiness for you. So when we elevate God as the sovereign God being in control, he is glorified as he should be, and we are at our happiest because our lives are supposed to be glorifying him. That's what you were created for. You were created for the glory of God. Next week is going to be a lot easier in regards to, we're going to talk about the wonderful spiritual blessings that we get. (laughs) Tonight was meaty and there was a lot to to think through. You may leave night church this evening and have a lot of thoughts and a lot of questions come up as a result of these scriptures. Please make contact. Please come back next week to get part two and talk it out together. There will be some of us who just go, yep, I know that. That's what scripture teaches very clearly. And others who might be in a place of going, maybe I don't know God as well as I thought I did. It seems a little bit bit much. I want you to know that 
tonight, when we approach these, um, this is a great foundation for us to know God in deeper ways. Let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge tonight your election of your people. And we acknowledge that you have predestined us to be your people before the foundation of the world. Lord, I'm thankful for that for so many reasons as we've discussed tonight. Lord, as we, as we think it through and as we wrestle together, Lord, help us to not try and fit you into a box, but help us to align our fallen minds with you. Help us to shift our focus from going, let's have a God that we want to knowing you because you define who you are. So Lord, I thank you for your word to us this evening. I pray that you would deal graciously with us as we talk it through, as we think it through. And as we return next week, Lord, I pray that there would be a a great sense of joy for us to know that we are your people, that we are secure in you, and that through this, there are so many blessings that are given to us through being in Christ. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.